Scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. Hear God's word for us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you with, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors. I spend uh, a lot of my time at the Olathe campus, but it's good to be able to join you and be down here with you. I love, I love this new space. It's my, I think my second time preaching here. Um, in this new space. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful spot. Love working with Gabe. Uh, Gabe's a fun dude, so we're, we're good buds. So let me, uh, let me pray for us, uh, and we'll, we'll jump into God's word this morning. Father, we pray that in this moment you would quiet our hearts. God, in the midst of all of the distractions we have going on around us in our world or the things stirring within us, we just pray that you would be near to us in all of those. That by the power of your spirit, you'd give us ears to hear from your word. And God, that you would bring both a conviction from your word in the areas in which we are falling short of you, but also comfort knowing what you, Lord Jesus, have done for us. God, for those who feel alone in particular, Lord, we pray that you would be near. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like many of you, I've been haunted by many of the images from Afghanistan, right? It's hard, it's hard to look away in a lot of ways. You know, the crowded airplanes or overrun airports, ple- people clinging on to the side of, of planes. And I just, I mean, it's been overwhelming, right? And, and for, for some of us, like just thinking through, like what, is this, what does this mean for, for Christians there? What does this mean for families, friends, communities just completely torn apart in all of this really heartbreaking mess? A couple of weeks ago, I just I stopped and just sort of imagined, like what if, what if I was one of the people there, particularly one of the one of the ones who's left behind. Like, th- think about that. If you're if you're there and you're you're saying goodbye to friends and family members, people that you've you've depended on, that you've counted on, and they for some reason they get to go, but you have to stay. Just imagine the sense of abandonment that would be. The incredible feeling of loneliness. 
So I don't, I don't know if there's a, a worse feeling, a much worse feeling than, than true loneliness. Like then, then feeling like you have truly been abandoned by the people around you, people you know, people you care about. Maybe, maybe you just moved to a new city, you've started a new job, you, you know almost no one, right? You're, 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 you are on your own and you feel the, the weight of that. Like I'm not, I'm not sure there's anything more frightening. Maybe, maybe some of you feel alone in a, a marriage, maybe alone after a divorce, abandoned by some of your friends perhaps. Listen, I'm, I'm an introvert. I need my alone time. I love my alone time. And yet I'm not, I'm not sure there's anything that frightens me more than the thought of being abandoned. A, a feeling, feeling like I'm utterly alone in the universe. And this is, this is what, I, what I think of when I see some of those, those images, right, from Afghanistan. This is, this is what I think of when I, when I hear this passage read that we just, we just heard. This is what Jesus is about to do, it seems, right, to, to his disciples. He is about to leave at what, at what feels like the worst possible time, right? They've just given him everything. They've entrusted all of, all of their lives in them. The world around them is, is falling apart into utter chaos and ruin, and he leaves. How could he do that to them? How could he do that to us? I mean, do you ever feel like Jesus has abandoned us? I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing many of you have. If you followed Jesus long enough, there have been times or maybe seasons in which you felt like he's, he's just checked out. He's, he's alone. Maybe it's in, in various you know, difficult areas at work or with parenting, relationships. Again, maybe alone in a new city. And sometimes... Sometimes, church, I feel alone. And so, Jesus, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to say about it? Well, if you haven't already, turn to John 14 through 16. It's a long chunk of scripture here. And we're going to try to go through and pull out some really important parts about the Holy Spirit. We've been in this, this series about the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a scene in which Jesus' disciples... Uh, are, are about to feel utterly, utterly abandoned. And, and so what, is, what does Jesus tell him? Like, what, what does he think they need from him? They need to hear from him. What, what do we need to hear from him? Well, it's in these, these chapters that Jesus promises to give us a friend, which sounds kind of weird, right? Maybe even a little bit cheesy. He's going he's gonna to give us a buddy, right? But his, his name, this friend, is, is Holy Spirit. He's the third member of the Trinity, often the most forgotten or, or overlooked. And to, to help us understand him, we've been in this, this series this past few weeks. We've got a couple weeks left in this series on the Holy Spirit. Typically, as a church, we go through books of the Bible, right? We often do that. But this is kind of a, a different series for us, kind of a theological series of trying to tell the story of the Holy Spirit from, from Genesis to, to the end of, of who is he? What does he mean for us as the people of God? And here... Jesus promises his followers a friend. Look again at, at 14, verse 15. Jesus says to them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Now, you may have read something different based on your translation there, but I, I use the word helper. That's what the ESV has. Uh, but it's, it's the Greek word paraclete paraclete. It's used four times throughout these three chapters of, of, of John. 
Um, and there's not really a perfect English translation for it. In fact, if you ha- depending on the translation you have, you might read something, something different. So for some, they translate it as, as advocate or as helper here. Others have comforter or counselor or friend. I think, I think friend works best because it, it sort of encapsulates all of those ideas, right? Because that, this is what a good friend, a good friend does advocate, a good friend does comfort, does counsel, does help. And this friend, and this, is, this is one of Jesus' favorite names for the Holy Spirit, paraclete, or friend. Again, four times right here in this passage. And the, the first thing we need to learn, the first thing we learn about this promised friend is that we need him. Like you, you can't read these chapters of John without getting this unmistakable ache for some divine, supernatural friend. We need a friend. We need the Holy Spirit. And I know probably for, for some of you, you, you hear that and you think, yes, absolutely. Like, Nathan, I'm so lonely. Like, I, 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 need, I need a friend. I need someone to help me. I feel so alone. Others, others of you are like, I don't, I don't need anybody. I mean, especially not some divine, mystical friend like, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Like, I don't, I don't need that. And if, if I'm completely honest, like, I, I waffle between the two. I understand both of those things. I, I go back and forth between a place, it seems like, of, like, utter just desperation, like, feeling, feeling alone, or into this sort of arrogant self-confidence. I've got this, right? Waffling back and forth. And yet the clear and humbling message of the Bible is that you and I were never meant to live our lives alone. We were, we were never meant to try this existence by ourselves. For we are made for a relationship with God. Even if, even if we go back to that, that first message on the Holy Spirit, right, of, of seeing the Holy Spirit at work in creation in Genesis 1 and 2, as, as he was part of this creative act that he breathed his breath into us, he gave life to us, we have his breath in us, and that, that breath constantly beckons us back to him. For we were friends with, with God in the garden, and we long to be friends with God again. And Jesus knows. Like he, he understands all this. He knows that we were never meant to live our lives without him. He, and he understands how we were made, that our deepest and most existential longings are to, are to be known, are to be loved, are to be in relationship with others. That, that he knows how deeply we fear being abandoned, being alone. And so he, he prepares his disciples for his departure with these, with these words. So again, this is, this is just after the Lord's Supper and just prior to his arrest. So he's, he's just got a few minutes, a few hours left with them. Like this is kind of like his, his final sermon in this in-between time of the things that he knows he needs to tell us as his people because he knows what's coming. And so he, he sets out to comfort his disciples, but, but in some ways it almost feels like it's like the worst pep talk ever. And I don't, I don't mean any, you know, disrespect to Jesus, but like, it, it's kind of bleak. I mean, it's, it's clear he's, he's working towards comfort, that he's wanting to comfort his people. I mean, he begins, he begins his sermon in chapter 14 with these words. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he ends in chapter 16 again with, with comfort. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. But in the middle, like right smack in the middle of chapter 15, 
He says, essentially, just so you know, everybody's going to hate you. That you're going to be misunderstood, marginalized, mistreated, persecuted, and some of you are going to die. They're going to do to you exactly what they're going to do to me. And you're going you're to feel afraid, he tells them. There, there are, are going to be moments when you feel like you, you want to fall away. You just want to give up. And by the way, I'm, I'm leaving, he says. It's hard words, isn't it? And yet, church, this is, this is the expectation of the Christian life. Hostility and loneliness. Whether it's from the, the people around us or just by nature of living in a broken world, if you follow Jesus long enough, you will feel alone. Some of you, some of you right now, you understand this really, really well. Some of, some of you, perhaps, you've, you've moved here, right? Um, starting, a, starting a new job, you're just sort of setting out on your own. And you, you know very few people. Or maybe this is part of your story and you're just coming, coming out of this a little bit. But you, you remember those, feeling, those feelings of just deep, deep loneliness arriving in a new city. Others of you, maybe you feel alone in your marriage. Maybe you've been single way longer than you thought you would. Maybe you've just lost a loved one. And you know deeply, intimately, personally, how badly you need a friend. But not just any friend. And this is, this is what I love about what Jesus does here. Yes, he, he tells us very clearly we need this Holy Spirit. We need him in our lives. But it's not just any friend. We need a friend who will tell us the truth. That's, a, that's the second thing. Because again, four times in these chapters, Jesus refers to him as friend or helper, right? As, as paraclete. And three times though, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. And one of, the, one of the reasons we sometimes feel so alone is because we don't know what's true. Like, we want to, regardless of, of, of who you are, what you believe, like, what's your background? is like, we want to know what's true in the sense of, like, what's, what's the best way to live my life, right? What's going to lead to the most satisfaction? How do I understand between my own conflicting desires? Because our, our desires are at war within them. Like, what, what is true? How do I live? We all want that. Now, the trouble is, we can find anyone to tell you literally anything you want to hear, right? So we have, this, we have this endless array of options, all of them claiming to be some form of, of truth, right? Promising happiness. And yet all too many of us know the loneliness of indecision and regret. You've been there, right? How lonely it feels when you, when you, just, you just don't know which way to go. You don't know what's right, what's wrong. You don't know what's best. Or the regret of afterwards, like thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going in this path, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I think is right, and you look back and like, man, that was not right. And what a mess I've made. We need a friend who doesn't just tell us what we want to hear or affirm everything about us. We don't, we don't need a friend who encourages us to follow our own truth. We need a friend who tells us the true truth. And church, we have such a friend. Let me, let me read some of these words again. 14, verse 26. And Jesus is speaking here to, to his disciples. He says, but the, the helper, the friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in, in chapter 16, verse 13, towards, towards the end, Jesus says again, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
And the implication here of this truth, and maybe you picked this up as, as it was being read for us a moment ago, is that this is a, a truth that leads to obedience, right? It's not a, it's not a theory of what's true. It's, it's a practical kind of, of truth. Because remember, remember how Jesus first introduced this friend in chapter 14, verse 15? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus' love language is faith-filled obedience and so this is, this is why when we get to chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus can say this about the Spirit. He says, and when he, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict? I mean, what kind of, what kind of friend is that, right? Do we, do we want a friend that's going to do this? But this, this is the kind of truth a true friend brings. And so, I mean, there's three things right, about our sin, so about our, our rejection of God. He's going to convict us about the ways in which we reject God, about, about righteousness, or that, that word can also be uh, translated as, as justice. So not just, not just my sin, but our collective sin. And he's going to remind us that judgment is coming, that we have a God who will judge. And we call him a friend. I mean, just imagine, like, if you, if you had a friend that every time you hung out, all she ever wanted to talk about was your sin, our sin, and the sin, and the coming judgment, right? Like, no, thank you. None of us want that. We don't want that, that kind of conviction, and yet, you and I both know the loneliness that comes from our shame. The times in which we've tried to live our own truth and we end up hurting ourselves and the people we love the most. How many times have we done that? How many, how many times after you, you've said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna yell at the kids anymore or I'm not gonna talk like that to that person anymore and yet we use our words to hurt the people we love the most on the planet. We say, I'm not gonna do it again. Or how many, how many times in those moments of weakness or, or frustration or, or loneliness, right, do we, do we run towards another compulsive purchase, right, or an opportunity to gossip about somebody else to make ourselves feel a little bit better, right? And say, I'm not going to do that again. Or you wake up hungover again. Or you spend time on those websites that you promised yourself, I, I'm not going to do that again, but you, you did you wake up in somebody else's bed and you keep saying to yourself over and over again, I, I, I don't want that. I, I know what that leads to. You know, you know that shame, right? That there's no greater isolation than shame. There's no lonelier feeling than shame. In fact, Rebecca McLaughlin Everybody should read her book. She's one of my new, one of my new favorite authors. If you're not familiar with her, I'd highly recommend. I just finished two of hers, uh, Confronting Christianity, uh, and then she has a, a, a version of this same book for, for teens, 10 questions every, every teen should ask and answer about Christianity. They're both fantastic. We're going to read uh, the teen one with our kids, um, yeah, as a family, maybe in January, guys. You ready for that? Okay. We'll see. All right. I've said it publicly a couple times now, so we have to do it. So, Okay. But she, she wrestles, I mean, throughout these books, so they're very similar books, but she wrestles with uh, many of the sort of hurdles in our culture to Christianity. Uh, of not just why we believe it's true, but why we believe it's good, why it's valuable, right? Why should we even want it to be true? And, and for example, one of those big hurdles, we know this, right, is, is about the Bible's teaching on sex. 
And this, this is, a, is a very personal area for her. This, she's struggled most of her life with same-sex attraction, so she's not talking about like a theory of sexuality. This is something that's deeply personal to her. And she, she points out that we can follow the truth, right, that's all around us and often that we call truth within us, which in our world says have sex as often as you can with whoever you, whoever you want, right? Like that's, that's the path to the good life. If you, if you do that, you'll be satisfied. And some of you are trying to follow that truth right now. But she points to, to studies that clearly show it just doesn't work. It doesn't make us happier. Not most of us, and especially not most women, she points out. And for both, for both men and women, it makes us lonelier and more desperate. And many of us know it. And not just, not just sex. Like this is, this is what sin does. It alienates us from God and from one another. It, it pushes us away, it increases our shame, and it maximizes our loneliness. And we just feel more and more alone. Ima- imagine it like this. If you're hiking on the edge of a cliff, right? You don't, you don't see a drop-off up ahead. Like, you don't want a friend in that moment to, like, just pat you on the back and affirm everything about you, right? To tell you to, to follow your own truth, right? You'll be fine. It's like, then just watch you fall. Like, no, we don't, we don't want that. Like, I, I want a friend who loves me enough to, to, to yank me back before I fall, right? Even if it hurts. I, I want a friend who's, who's willing to, to remind me that there's, there's a better path. And the better path is always obedience to Jesus. We, we, we tend to think that if there's real truth in the world, we're so scared about that, right, as a, as, as a culture, if there's real truth, then it's going to limit us, right? It's, it's going to restrict our freedom. You know what? And that's absolutely right. Like, it will limit you, right? If there's, if there's anything objectively true in our world, it will absolutely limit us. Like the truth of gravity, right? The truth of gravity limits you. You can't fly. And you can reject that truth. Like, you don't, you don't have to submit to it, but if you jump off a building, nobody's going to call that freedom. Similarly, with God's moral truth, yes, it will limit you. Yes, it will, it will tell you that there are things that you should do and things that you shouldn't do, and you're not always going to agree with which is which. But it will also set you free. Because instead of the weight of having to find your own truth, and good grief, how much pressure is that? Like... I don't, I don't know what's good for me. Like, I, I've tried that so many times. My, my own desires are often at war within, within myself, right? What, what if I'm not good enough at finding my own truth? What if I make the wrong mistake? What if I regret something later? What if I leave something on the table that I really wanted and, you know, get down there? Like, it just leads to more and more anxiety, more and more depression, and more and more shame. And this, like, church, this is our world. This is where we live. And yet, what if instead there was something objectively good and beautiful in the world? that we could know and embrace and give our lives to? What if, what if we had a true friend to help show us the way? Church, we have such a friend. Don't listen to your heart. Your heart is a liar. My, again, my heart doesn't even know what I want, right? Not half the time anyway. Don't listen to the competing voices around you. Listen to the friend that Jesus himself has given you. And confirm, confirm what he says to the scriptures, 
Right? This, is, this is where we often hear his voice speaking to us of what is right and what is true. You have to confirm it here with the, the scriptures or, and with the people around you, with, with other followers of Jesus who also have this friend with them, like the church. We need one another. We can't do this in isolation. But f- figure out what, what is true, what he is telling you is true, and obey. Like, think about it. We, we have, this is such a gift. Like, we have someone in our lives who loves us enough to tell us what's true, even when we don't want to hear it. That is love, people. And so will we listen? It's love, but it's also scary, if we're honest, right? I mean, the truth is scary. I don't, I don't know if I want to know the truth about me. And I'm pretty confident I don't want you all to know the truth about me, right? Not if you saw everything. Like, we, we know that that's, that's when people begin to, to leave. And maybe you even think that, like, yeah, I've been down this road before and people have found out too much, right? If, if she only knew this about me, if he only knew this about my past, if, if you all only knew that this was in my, my life, like, we, we, we know that, we feel that. Like, this is when people walk out on us. When we're known, when we're confronted and seen. And some of you, have, you've lived this out, right? You've experienced this abandonment. And then here we, here we have the spirit of truth, and he sees all of it better than any of us do. He knows even the places you don't even know, right? In, in your own heart, in your own life, he sees every, every deep and dark place, every regret, every shameful and hidden thing. He sees all of it. But he will never walk out on us. When others might be tempted to leave, he, he will not leave the room in the middle of an argument. He will never stop loving you. And church, this, this is what we need. We need a friend who will never walk out. This is the, the third thing, who will never walk out on us. Because yes, he tells us the truth about our sin, which is a painful truth. But he also tells us the truth about the cure. For this is, this is part of the Holy Spirit's role. This is, this is his job to incessantly remind us of Jesus to whisper his name over our shame, to, to remind us of his presence, even in the midst of our loneliness, over and over and over again. This is what Jesus promises that he will do for us. And so even, even go to some of these words in 1526. Listen to some of these promises that Jesus gives us about this friend. 1526, Jesus says, he will bear witness about me. He'll proclaim me. He'll preach the gospel of me, Jesus says. In 1614, as well, Jesus says, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will remind us of these things, of who Jesus is. He preaches the gospel of of forgiveness and mercy and grace constantly to our isolated hearts, the voice of God's love to us who will never walk out on us. And in chapter 14, if you you heard as it was read a few minutes ago, I love three times Jesus promises the the unending presence of the Spirit with us. Let me, let me read them again. 14, 16, Jesus says, he will be with you forever. 14, 17, and 18, Jesus says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. What a beautiful promise that is. I'm not, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. In 14, 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I think that last one's my favorite. Because you, you see the whole Trinity at work there. We, Jesus says, it's so, so interesting. Like this is such a mystery to us. We don't understand how the Trinity works. But Jesus, we, like God the Father and I, Jesus is saying, are going to come through the Holy Spirit 
and make our home with you. Which has been God's plan from the very beginning. This is the spirit story. This is, this is God's story. There's a story back in, in the garden, right? That God was gonna make his home with us. It was, it was his, his plan throughout all of the Old Testament. You see it with the tabernacle and the temple. God's presence with his people, a home with his people. You see it with Jesus, you see it with the church. You see it in the promises of the new creation that this is always God's heart for us. Where is God's home? You can sometimes imagine it like clouds and harps. Someplace, it's way over there, right? Distant, out of reach, out of touch. But no, where does, where does Jesus say God's home is? It's wherever you are, as his people. To get together, collectively, like there's a unique sense in which God dwells as we gather with us, but also individually as his followers, and he will never, ever walk out on you. Yeah, okay, Nathan, I, I mean, I get, I get that I need friends, right? I don't want to be alone, but I've, I've got my people, right? Why do, I, why do I need this friend, this supernatural Casper the Friendly Ghost type friend? I, under, I understand that. Like, I, I know how ridiculous this might sound. And of, and of course we need human friends, right? It's often our, our human friends, our, our church family, where we experience God's presence together, where we, where we hear his voice of truth. You need the church and you need good friends. Certainly you do. But they will never be enough. Our longings for intimacy, for connection, for relational belonging, they are all too deep, too heavy for any one person or any group of people to possibly fulfill. I mean, if you put all that weight on somebody else, you're gonna, you're gonna crush them, right? Either they're gonna disappoint you, right? Or you're just gonna crush them under the weight of your expectations, whether, whether we do that in a marriage, right? Or with a, a dating relationship with, with our children or our parents. Even with our best friends, right? They will disappoint us. Our needs are too big for any person to fulfill. They're gonna disappoint us, but even, honestly, even if they don't, they will eventually leave us. I mean, I think about this with my best friend in the world. This is my wife, Kelly. Um, married almost 20 years. And I mean, she's the best human I know. I absolutely adore her. I would spend every waking moment with her if, if I could. We, we love being, being together. Can't imagine my life without her. She's not perfect. I mean, there, there are times, right, when we let each other down. And yet, at the end of the day, either I'm going to attend her funeral or she's going to attend mine. What then? Like, if that's, if that's the place I've been looking for the, the, my ab- absolute fulfillment, my comfort and my joy, what then? What will I be left with then? Or I think about even with, with, our, with our closest friends. It'll be the same. We will take turns watching as each other is lowered to the ground or scattered to the wind until there's one of us left, and God, I hope it's not me. And if that's, if that's where my comfort has been, if that's where my trust has been, then what? then? What will comfort me then? Yes, yes, we need human friends. We need the church. We need family. We need a tight-knit community. But they will never be enough. They can't be enough. What we need is this friend who's promised to us. 
the one who, who breathed life into us in the garden, who continually beckons us back to himself, who, who promises to live within us, to indwell us through Jesus, this friend who will tell us the truth, gently, lovingly pulling us out of our isolating regret. And even when he sees us there, when he comes to get us in those dark, dark places to pull us out, he will not abandon us. And he can be yours forever through Jesus. And so if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I mean, we're, we're glad you're here. We want this to be a place where you can ask questions and, and, and wrestle with these things with us. And I, I know you have your reasons, right? I, under, I understand that. But I hope you'll at least consider what he is offering to you right here. The friendship that you long for, the truth that you need, the hope and the commitment that we would do anything for. Ask him, ask him to reveal himself to you and to be the friend that he longs to be for you. And if you, if you are a Christian, he's already at home with you. Are you at home with him? Getting to know him, this, this friend. Building time with him into your life to, to understand more of who he is and who he's called you to be through his word, through his people, through time alone and in prayer. Are you attentive to him? Like just simply even being watchful for him in those maybe those loneliest parts of your, of your life or, or most shameful areas of your existence to just to watch and invite him into those places. For he is the friend that our hearts are longing for. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you not uh, by any means understanding how that works. That you are one God, but three persons, three but one. And yet we delight in you, we worship you, and we give everything to you. And Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would, in this, this moment for each of us, would you convict us, would you bring your truth powerfully to us. Show us the paths we're on that lead to destruction and yank us back. Pull us out of our sin, out of our heartbreak, out of our despair. But God, would you do it in a way that reminds us gently of your love, your forgiveness, and the fact that you will never give up on us. And Lord Jesus, we give you thanks because we know that all of this is because of what you have done for us through your life, death, and resurrection. And so we, we glorify you now. And we know that as we glorify you, we honor the Spirit as well. We love you, Jesus, in Christ's name.